more importantly, we're looking at how God can, how we can get God to release his power in our life so we can get unstuck. Uh, the goal is to break free from our uh, sinful desires and live in such a way that we produce spiritual fruit, that we bear the fruit of the Spirit. Um, we're going to begin today by reading uh, part of our key passage out loud together. I love reading this with you folks. So let's read it. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And and that's the dilemma that every believer faces. Uh, Our flesh, the physical part of us, when we're conceived by our parents, when we're born into the world, we we come in with a body, with a flesh, there's a physical aspect. Uh, of us. And, uh, and then when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says that we are reborn, regenerated. We get a new life, an eternal life, abundant life. The, the spiritual part of us is made alive. In fact, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in our life. Our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so now we have a fleshly, physical side of us, and we have a, a spiritual side of us. And Paul says those two are, are contrary to one another. In fact, they are in constant conflict with one another. That's the dilemma uh, that we're faced with. And it says that the acts of the flesh are obvious. And it's interesting that the NIV says the acts of the flesh. Other versions will say the works of the flesh. And the Greek word there is the word erga, ergo, from, from which we get the English word ergonomics. You ever heard that term? You know, if you work in an office or in, you know, sometimes manufacturing or whatever, you'll hear the term ergonomics. That's the study of, of how workers, literally how your body interacts with your work, specifically equipment. I have an ergonomic snow shovel that, uh, that I can use, that I can shovel snow without pain. <laughs> Um, you know, you may have a workstation, you may see these keyboards that are, you know, uh, bent at kind of an odd angle or office chairs. They're ergonomic. And, and the goal is, is that we want the body to be able to work in such a way that it's very, very productive. So that's the word ergo, the word works of the flesh. Well, Paul says the works of the flesh are obvious. The sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Or as some of us would say, Tuesday. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, notice it's the fruit of the Spirit, it's not the works of the Spirit. Because there's, there's a difference. Work is something that's produced through activity. Work is something you produce through your effort. Fruit something that's just born out of your nature. Fruit comes out of who you are. It flows out of the spirit that's in you. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, what a huge difference between those two lists. Huge difference between what our life looks like when when we're driven by the passions of the flesh versus when we're driven by the purposes of God. And and that's the choice that you and I are confronted with. Every day, in every situation, in every decision, do we act out of our flesh or do we walk in the Spirit? But those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified 
the flesh with its passions and desires. We put off the old. We've set it aside. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So today, we're going to look at the fruit, the spiritual fruit of goodness. Goodness. Uh, how, how would you define the word good? I mean, we use that word a lot. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about good food, good weather, good report card. We say, have a good day. She did a good job. It's a good distance from here. You know, we use that word good in a lot of different ways. When I was a kid, my mom used to drop me off at places and she would say, have fun, be good. And I always thought that was kind of a contradiction in terms. I mean, how am I supposed to have fun and be good? Can I do that? Webster's Dictionary gives 17 different categories for the word good, with three or four different uses or illustrations for each one. I mean, it's a small word, but it's a very complex concept. The words good and goodness are used 619 times in the Bible. 619 times. And today, we're going to look at every one of those. No, actually what I'm going to do today is I want to tell you a story from the Word of God that uh, uses the word good. And it's the story of how God created the world. Uh, The Bible says, in the beginning, God. It's one of the most startling statements in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But the earth was uninhabited and dark. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters that covered the earth. The Spirit of God was involved in the acts of creation. God spoke and said, let there be light, and it was so. God saw that the light was good. He called the light day and the darkness night. Then God said, let the waters above be separated from the waters below. So God made the sky above and gathered the waters into seas below. Again God spoke and said, let dry ground appear. So now there's sky, there's sea, and there's land. And God saw that it was good. Now God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants of all kinds, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds according to their kind. Notice, even in the natural realm, God is concerned about fruit, fruitfulness. And it was so. God was pleased and saw that it was good. God said, let there be lights in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs to mark the seasons and days and years. So God made the sun to govern the day, the moon to govern the night, and he made the stars. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the water be filled with living creatures and let birds fly across the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing which swims in the water, each according to their kinds. God also made every kind of bird. He blessed the creatures of the water and all the birds and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. Again, God spoke, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock, wild animals, and creatures that move along the ground. God saw that it was good. Finally, God said, let us make man in our image. Our image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Our image and likeness. To rule over the birds of the air, over the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his image, both male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
God said to them, I give you every seed-bearing plant and every tree with fruit that has seed in it as your food. God also provided the green plants as food for the animals, birds, and creatures that move along the ground. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Good. What was it about these elements of creation that made them good? Was it a moral goodness? Well, there's nothing moral or immoral about light and dark. There's nothing moral or immoral about water and land, uh, even plants and animals. The, The word good isn't used in a moral sense here. What made creation good was that it worked. It worked. Everything that God made fulfilled the purpose that he made it for. Because God has never made anything without a purpose. Not a plant or an animal or a rock or a blade of grass or a star or a person. Everything God made, God made for a purpose. Especially you and me. The Bible says that that your life has five purposes. In the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, Jesus Christ lays out for us God's purpose for our life. You're to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's the agape kind of love that that is the fruit of the Spirit. When you love God, you fulfill the purpose of worship. It says you're to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's, That's the patience, kindness, goodness, fruit of the Spirit. When you do those kind of things to other people, you fulfill the purpose of ministry. Loving God is worship. Loving other people is ministry. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, go and make disciples. When you share the fruit of joy and peace with other people, you're functioning as Christ's ambassador, as Christ's representative of the gospel of peace. You fulfill the purpose of evangelism. Another purpose is to fellowship with other believers. We're to baptize people into the fellowship, into the body, the church. And so so when you're patient and gentle with other people, when you're loving with other people, you're fulfilling the purpose of fellowship. You're to teach people to obey Christ's commands. When you're faithful, when you demonstrate uh, self-control, when you follow Christ and say, follow me as I follow Christ, when you teach other people how to walk in the Spirit, you're fulfilling the purpose of discipleship. And when God sees you doing those things in your life, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, evangelism, and worship, when God sees you doing that, God says, that's good. That's good. You're doing what I made you to do. You're fulfilling the purpose for which you were made. You're bearing the fruit that God wants you to produce. Now, at creation, this good condition lasted only for a short while. We're not sure how long it lasted, but we only make it to the third chapter of Genesis before things break. Chapter 3 of Genesis, man's relationship with God was broken by sin. Story says the serpent was craftier than any of the wild animals God had made. One day the serpent said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman replied, we may not eat from the tree, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said. That was a blatant lie. 
It was a blatant lie. Because God specifically said, don't eat of that tree or you'll die. Serpent goes on, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Serpent said they would know good and evil. What he really meant is you will experience good and evil. You know, there's a, there's a difference between knowing and experiencing. They experienced good and evil. They experienced the consequences of evil. You know, I, I don't have to experience sin in order to know that it's evil. Uh, when I was a young believer, my, uh, my old pastor used to say, I don't have to stick my head in the sewer to know it stinks. He says, I don't have to go out and experience sin to know it's evil. But Eve fell for the serpent's lie, and, and she ate the fruit. She gave some to Adam, and he ate it too. And the disobedience of Adam and Eve caused them to be separated from God. It was this act of disobedience, this act of the flesh, by which sin entered into creation and broke it. Creation no longer worked the way God intended for it to work. And instead of bearing the spiritual fruit that God wanted creation to bear, sin would bear the death of sin. It's death for Adam and Eve. It's sinful desires that, that went not from them, but uh, to the children that they had, to the whole human race. In fact, as we inherited the effect of their sinful disobedience. And that's the dilemma that you and I struggle with every day. And so the question is, how can I be good? How can I fulfill the purpose that God has made me for? And the first thing we need to get off the table is, is you cannot do this through your own effort. You can't, there is no way we can do this on our own apart from God. Because on our own, we're operating out of the flesh. And the acts of the flesh are obvious. So how can I be good? First, on your notes. First, goodness is a gift of God's grace. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's not from you. It's a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. You know, there's no saying, hey, look how good I am. Look at what I can do. No, this is about God's grace. It's not about me. For we are God's handiwork. There's that creation aspect again. You know, God created Adam and Eve. God created you and me. God created us with and for a purpose. We are God's handiwork. We have been created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This has been God's plan all along, that we would not do the works of the flesh, but we would do good works, bear the fruit of the Spirit. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. There we see that those two terms, good and works, pulled together. You weren't created by God to do acts of the flesh. That's the result of the fall. They flow out of, out of the sin of rebellion and disobedience. People today, people say, want to say, that's just the way God made me. No, that's not the way God made you. That's the way sin has tainted you. There's a big, big difference. God calls us to come out of the passions, drives, and desires of the flesh so we can stop doing the sinful works of the flesh and start doing the good works of the Spirit that God truly made us to do. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Instead, you'll be able to do the good works that God created you to do, that God created you in advance, that God created you all along. You'll be able to fulfill your purpose. 
Because you weren't made for sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I mean, who would make somebody to do that? No. You weren't made for the acts of the flesh. I mean, yeah, your flesh wants to pursue them. And just like Adam and Eve, the devil was lying to you that it's going to be okay and how great the experience will be. But we've all recognized the, the folly of that lie. You know, acts of flesh can look good to the eye. They can even feel good to the body, but they're not what God made you for, and so they leave you hollow, hollow inside. Because you're made, you were made for something more. You were made for something greater. You were made for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what God made you for. You're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Not eat the forbidden fruit of the flesh, but it's not going to come out of your own effort. The good works that God wants you to do are going to come from God's grace. God's grace through your faith in Christ. Because on your notes, goodness requires faithfulness. Goodness requires faithfulness. In the parable of the faithful and uh, unfaithful stewards, in the parable of the fruitful and unfruitful stewards, we find that goodness requires faithfulness. Because in that parable, the stewards who were faithful and fruitful, the stewards who did what the master wanted them to do, the, the stewards who produced a profit, yielded fruit, says his master replied, well done, Good and faithful servant. Goodness and faithfulness go together. You can't be good and unfaithful at the same time. Won't work. Look how Paul ties all this together in 2 Thessalonians uh, 1.11. Uh, We've got the the whole concept that he's been laying out for us in Galatians 5 and the whole concept he laid out in Romans chapter 7 and 8. Here he reduces down to one sentence, one verse. It says, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Exact same concept as Galatians 5, strung together in one verse in 2 Thessalonians. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you. Why? Why constantly pray? Because this is a moment-by-moment, step-by-step, everyday decision. We've got to walk in the Spirit. That our God may make you worthy of His calling. And that by His power... This isn't something we do out of our own strength. It's God who makes you worthy. It's God who gives you the power. By His power, He may bring to fruition. There's that fruit again. The idea of producing, bearing, fulfilling. He may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. It's every desire, not a desire of the flesh, it's a desire for goodness. And every deed prompted by faith. You've got fruit, goodness, deeds, faith, all the same words that are used in Galatians. This is how God created you and me to work. This is how God wants us to function. The way we live out the good purpose that God created for us is by grace, through faith in Christ, as we walk in the Spirit. Goodness requires faithfulness. Goodness also comes from wholehearted obedience. Wholehearted 
obedience. Deuteronomy 12 says, Be careful to obey all these regulations I am giving you, so that it may always go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord your God. We're to be careful always to do what God says to do in His Word. We are to be careful to obey. Now, the the point in Galatians uh, is that in the Old Testament, the way you lived out goodness was by obeying the law of Moses. That's why Paul says that, makes that statement in the passage we read, uh, that when you walk in the Spirit, you're not under the law. Because the whole point of Galatians is, is in the Old Testament, you were under the law. But when Christ came to earth, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death on the cross, he fulfilled the law. Jesus in Matthew 5, 17 says, I have not come to abolish the law, I have come to fulfill the law. You and I don't have to live under the law of Moses because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. But now we have a new call, a new call as a believer. And our call is not to fulfill the law. It's not to fulfill the acts of the flesh. Our call is to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to bear the fruit of the Spirit. That's our call to obedience. And the benefits that come, uh, they come not only to us, but they come to generation after generation after generation. Goodness bears fruit in our lives. It also bears fruit in the lives of those who follow after us. Now, the acts of the flesh wreck their damage, not only in our lives, but also in the lives of our children and grandchildren. I mean, sin can leave a damaging legacy on a family for generations. And your family may be struggling under the wounds inflicted by people who made bad choices years ago. I mean, that's just the harsh reality. You may be the victim of someone else's sin. But there is a tremendous power in a godly heritage as well. God promises that if you choose to obey and bear godly fruit, you can be a positive impact for generations to come. And the question is, which kind of legacy are you going to leave? That's the question. Do you want to damage your kids and grandkids and future generations pursuing the desires of your flesh? Claiming, that's just the way I am. That's the way you're going to be too. Is that the kind of legacy you want to leave? Or are you going to decide to break the cycle? Are you going to release God's power to change your life? Are you going to let God make you worthy of his calling so that your life and the life of your kids can fulfill the purpose that you were made for and you can bear the fruit of the Spirit? It's a crucial, crucial decision. Next, goodness grows in response to God's word. Goodness grows in response to God's word. Jesus is praying on behalf of his followers, and he prayed to God. He said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Salvation comes from putting your faith in Christ. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Sanctification is the work of the Spirit and the work of the word. Sanctify them by the truth. If you're going to know what's good, if you're going to know what we need to do to be good, if we're going to, uh, we've got to read, listen, understand, and obey the Word of God. Because goodness comes in response to God's Word. It doesn't come from something that we, we make up out of our own mind. It doesn't come out of our fleshly thoughts or out of our own wounded life experience. 
It doesn't come from listening to the world, flesh, and the devil. That's what got Adam and Eve in trouble in the first place. They stopped listening to what God said. They stopped listening to the word of God and started listening to all the other voices, even the voices in their own head. Goodness comes when we renew our minds with the word of God. I mean, how are you going to know what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord unless you let God tell you through your... We need to be living out of a biblical worldview, not a worldly worldview. When we know how to be good, then we need to know why to be good. What's the purpose of our goodness? And the purpose of goodness is to impact an evil world. Paul says in Romans 12, he says, do not be overcome by evil. You ever feel like you're being overcome by evil? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We do good because it glorifies God. Our goodness reveals God's goodness. As, as people see our good deeds, as they see us bear the fruit of goodness, especially as the world grows more and more evil, uh, our good deeds starts to shine like light in the darkness. And that's the whole point. I mean, you don't light a light in a light room. Nobody can see it. It makes no impact. Where do you need a light? You need a light where it's dark. We need goodness. As the world grows more and more evil, as more and more people call evil good and good evil, as more and more people fall prey to the desires of the flesh, choosing goodness becomes more and more crucial. Choosing goodness becomes more and more difficult. It's hard to be good when everyone else is evil. It's a battle. It's a struggle. It can be tiring. And that's why Paul in Galatians 6 says, let us not become weary in doing good. Don't become weary in doing good. Well, what keeps us from becoming weary in doing good? For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It's the hope of the harvest. It's the hope of an inheritance. It's the hope of bearing fruit. If we make the right choices, if we crucify the flesh and walk in the Spirit, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. God, God is calling you and me to break out of the rut of our sin and to move into the purpose that he made us for to fulfill the good purpose that he created us for. And so in what area of your life do you need God's grace to help you be good? In what area of your life do you need to put your faith in Christ, not in yourself? In what area of your life do you need to walk in the Spirit so you can produce the fruit that God has made you to produce? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your wisdom. We, we thank you for the, the plan that you've had from the very beginning to use us to fulfill your purposes. God, I just would pray that you'd help each of us to recognize that we are in desperate need of your grace. can't do this out of our own strength. We're broken. 
we're broken, if we pursue if we, the acts of the flesh, if we, if we pursue what, what we have the tendency to do, God, we're going to screw it up. And so we need your grace. So we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. We recognize that he paid the penalty for our sins and he offers us a new life. We can be born again. We, we, can, we can have the Spirit of God take up residence in our life, in our body, and give us the power to break out of our sin. God, help us to do that. Help us to make that decision. Help us to move forward, to crucify the flesh and move forward, walking in the Spirit day by day so we can bear the fruit of goodness. God, we thank you for the hope the hope of a harvest, the hope of a reward as we live our lives for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.